You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are back on our series. This is our sixth week. Okay, it's called Truth Be Told. Now, if this is your first time to join us, uh, as a church, okay, not just here in Victory Alabama, we are doing a series on the parables of Jesus. And last week, actually, we talked about the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And uh, the week one, let me just probably give you what we have gone through in the past six weeks. Well, in week one, we've talked about the parable of the sower. Week two, the mustard seed. The prodigal son on the third week. Fourth week, we've talked about the Good Samaritan. And last week, we've talked about the laborers in the vineyard. Today is exciting, special, because we're going we're gonna to dig into a parable about stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. You see, as believers, you know, Jesus really expects us to handle with care what He has entrusted. Amen. Basically, He has entrusted to us the gospel. All the time and the resource we have ought to be for the gospel. And our parable for this Sunday is called the parable of the minas, all right? American English says minus, minus. So I don't want the minus, it's like minus. So we're, we're Filipinos, I'll just call it minas. Para ka nagbimina ng pera, di ba? Minas. You all agree? The parable of the minas, okay. But when Jesus tells a parable, how many of you know that Jesus does not just blurt out a parable, tell a story for the sake of telling a story? In other words, parables have a purpose. Okay? Parables are actually stories that is cast alongside the truth to illustrate that truth, to give us that moral and spiritual lesson. That's what we want to find out with the parable of the minas. Have you ever heard of the minas? No? Okay, I'll explain that later on. Parable of the mina, there's a reason why Jesus said this. And to better understand the context of this parable, I'd like to share to you in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. There are basically two reasons why Jesus shared this parable. The first one is this. In verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. And this is the reason why. First reason is that because he was near to Jerusalem. The second reason was that because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, what about Jerusalem? What, what's, what's up with Jerusalem? What's up with the, about the kingdom of God? What's the connection be- between this parable of the Mina and the Jerusalem and the kingdom of God? And actually, if you look at history, Jerusalem is a holy city. That is basically the seat of all the political affairs in the nation of Israel. So anything that happens in Jerusalem goes headline, okay? Anything that would happen in this, in this place, it's headline. In other words, this is like Malacanang Palace to us, diba? In Malacanang. Or in America, in the White House, Trump won. Something like that, diba? So it makes headlines. And to the disciples and the followers of Jesus, they were thinking about this uh, so-called trip to Jerusalem was one that will finally who finally changed the political landscape of their nation. Why is that? Well, since they were under the Roman rule, okay, they were praying that the prophecy that someday a king, a messiah, the Christ, will come and rule and reign over the kingdoms of earth. And to the mind of the disciples, Jesus was the man. We all know that, right? And we all know that He's, he's, he's the real king. But the thing is, at this time, it wasn't yet revealed. 
Okay? So they were looking at Jesus to be the king who would finally establish this kingdom of God here on earth. But guess what? To Jesus, Jerusalem, well, it was different. Why is that? A chapter before chapter 19, chapter 18, tells about what Jesus thinks about Jerusalem. Let's look at that. In chapter 18, verse 31, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, basically Jesus, by the prophets, will be accomplished. For he will what? Be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. In other words, this was the last trip to Jerusalem for Jesus. He was about to face something that, you know, the disciples didn't really understand. The prophecy was about to be fulfilled about Jesus. And guess what happens? In verse 33, he says, And after flogging Jesus, they will kill Jesus. And on the third day, he will rise. You see, to the mind of the disciples, they were thinking the trip to Jerusalem is about a political stand. That means, ah, Jesus will be the king. But to Jesus, no, I'm going to be delivered to death. The kingdom ain't coming yet. It's not going to come, okay? But you need to hear this out, okay? Before, before Jesus tells his parable, he was telling his disciples, this is it. But his disciples couldn't understand it. In fact, in verse 34, it says there, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. The disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand or comprehend that Jesus was in fact, yes, He is the Messiah, but He will be delivered to death as the prophecy says. Moreover, what blew the minds of the disciples is that Jesus, okay, now remember, you're the disciple, you're thinking of Jesus as the, your candidate, diba? Yung talagang sure win, landslide vote, you know, your candidate Jesus is gonna win. So you are the disciple, right? But, Jesus, that candidate, doesn't think that way. He's not thinking, I'm going to Jerusalem to win the kingdom. No, I'm going to go there to die. Totally opposite. What blew the mind of the disciples is that on his way to Jerusalem, he makes a side trip to Jericho. Meets a guy, a short guy by the name of Zacchaeus. You all know that story of Zacchaeus, right? He's so short, couldn't see anything. He climbed the sycamore tree to make sure that when Jesus would pass, he would see him, right? And we all know the story. Jesus saw him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have dinner with you. Take me to your home. And what did the crowd say? <sighs> He's going to be sitting with a sinner. You know, this sinner is no ordinary sinner, Jesus. He's not only a sinner, He's a traitor to our country. In fact, he, he, he actually collects taxes for the Roman government and keeps something to himself. He was, he was in other words, corrupt. And yet Jesus, okay, again, going back to the disciples, thinking of Jerusalem as the political place, Jesus goes to Jericho, meets a sinner. I mean, if you were the disciple, you just are scratching your head today and saying, Lord, what are you doing with your time? Isn't it time for you to go to Jerusalem with us and just conquer the world? It didn't happen that way. What happened was, he went out of his way to go to a sinner. And you know what happened? Zacchaeus, or Zach, actually, 
Zach gets saved. He had a true encounter with Jesus. And we know the story. He said to Jesus, Lord, you know, half of my property, I'm giving it to the poor. And if I have defrauded anybody, if I have cheated anybody, I'm going to give four times, fourfold. And what an amazing, you know, conversion. This sinner, the tax collector, met Jesus at one point in his life, understands the gospel, received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He gets saved. And see, the disciples missed the whole point. Now, the conversation that led to our parable was this conversation of Jesus in the next verse. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And get this. Get this, disciples. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, he was not saying, you know, I didn't come here to win a political battle for you. It's not about that. It's about me seeking to save the lost. That was, that was Jesus' intention coming here on earth. It was not about this earthly political kingdom. No, not yet. Okay? Although we know he's coming back, right? We all know there's a second coming of Jesus, right? But not yet. So to the disciples, they didn't understand this. And, and to Jesus, he was saying to his disciples, not yet. There's going to be a delay for that kingdom. But hear me out. If you want this kingdom to come, I want you to establish this one. Do my business. Why? His business was about saving the lost. And that's the whole conversation that led to this parable of the minas. Okay? So he tells this parable so that they'll understand and grasp, understand about this kingdom of God. Ain't coming yet. Not coming yet. It's going to be a delay. But in the meantime, he was saying, you need to do this. My business. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So now, are you ready for the parable? Are you ready? Open your Bibles. As we read the parable of the Minas. Alright. So I'll stand. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27. If you have your Bibles with you, great. If you have your laptops, iPads, um, whatever, whatever gadget you have, be great. But if you don't have, the grace of God is here. We can all read it at the, at the screen. Amen? So it's a lengthy one again like last week. Are you ready? All right. Verse 11. Let me read. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went to, into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, 
Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you do not or did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Hard word. Let's bow down and pray. Father, (laughs) thank you, Lord God, for your word. I mean, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will open our spiritual eyes and also our hearts. Lord, we ask God that you may speak to us, Lord. Let us understand the scripture. Holy Spirit, anoint the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can all take your seats. The parable of the Minas. Interesting story, huh? Are you scared? So reading this, you get scared. You know, at the, at the end part, you get slaughtered. How many of you like that? I don't like the idea of being slaughtered, okay? I like the idea of eating slaughtered animals anyhow, but, you know, slaughtered. But anyway, um, let's look closely at this story. Well, first of all, we understand that Jesus told this parable because it was his last trip to Jerusalem, right? We all know that his kingdom will basically not appear yet. Right? It's going to be a delay. And he tells this story about a noble man. Now, this noble man, basically, in their day and age, was very rich. He owned properties. He had haciendas, I guess. Uh, big houses. Mansion, probably. Or castle. So, this noble man, very rich, went away to claim something very important. It was about kingship. He wants to be king. And then before he leaves for that, before he goes out to get to claim his kingship, he calls 10 of his servants. And what does he do? He says, I want you to do business. I'm going to give you one mina each. So 10 minas for 10 servants, right? That's what he did. So a mina actually is equivalent to about 100 denarii. Okay, 100 denarii, last week we've talked about one denarii is a full day's wage. So 100 denarii would probably give you three months of wage. All right? In our day and age, or maybe in the Philippines, I don't know, what's the minimum wage? 10,000 a month or 15,000 a month? Tamaba? Kind of like that range, 10 to 15,000. So if, you're, if you are receiving 10,000 a month, that's like 30,000 pesos a month. So not much money, okay? Nonetheless, it was money. But uh, 
the, the master of the house came and gave them one mina each. Now, we also know in this story that there were certain citizens, okay, or subjects in that, in that uh, kingdom, and they didn't like him. They didn't want, in fact, they rejected him as king. Please do not let this man rule and reign over us. That's what he said. That's what they said, okay? So we all know this. And after an extended period of time, this noble man, okay, he's no longer just a noble man. In fact, he becomes king. Right? He's king now. He comes back and then he calls back his, his uh, servants to give an account of what happened to the minas that he has given. Now our story, out of, out of this story, we can actually get three responses from this parable. And that's what I want to share tonight. There are three responses we could gather from this parable. And for our, you know, for our, um, for our, for our sake, okay, since we know that he is king already, right? The nobleman's king, right? There were three responses to the king. So I want to share these three responses to the king. Very, very simple, right? Are you here? Okay, the first response of, is really a, what we call a faithful response. Now, what does it mean to be faithful? Now, if you look at a dictionary, faithful means being loyal, constant. In other words, you remain loyal, you remain true, devoted, you are unswerving, unwavering, there's, there's steadfastness, you're dedicated, you're committed, you are trustworthy, you are dependable, you are reliable, you are obedient, you are dutiful. Everything is about being faithful. Now, the faithful response came from one servant. Servant number one. You all know this, right? You read it. It says, The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. This servant didn't come to, come to, the, to the master or to the king and says, you know, uh, Lord, my mina has made ten minas more. No. The servant came in a very, very humble posture. It was not about him. Why was that? He was acknowledging that the money is not his, but the Lord's. He wasn't operating on how good I am in producing this wealth. He wasn't, it wasn't about him. He acknowledged that it is the Lord who made it grow. He says, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. It was not about him. You see, the posture of faithfulness is really the posture of humility, knowing that we are only stewards of things here on earth. Are you still here? You know, we may have names to our cars. You have your ORCR. You have your title deed. Okay, You probably own some of your houses, your homes, right? You probably own your cell phone today and you are issued a receipt, okay? It says there, blah, 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 Juan de la Cruz, diba? You can own, you, your names can actually be in all the properties you have today. But the reality is you don't own them. It's amazing. You really don't own them. It reminds me of this, you know, this husband, okay? This husband, who was like total miser, total thrift. In other words, kuripo talaga siya. He was, he was, he was just like that, you know. It's like, it's like Manny Pacquiao. Yun, ganun, talagang, ayaw niya i-release yung mga fans. 
So he saved enough, and he actually acquired a lot of money. You know, he had, he had a lot of money, millions of dollars. And he made his wife promise him that when he dies, all of his money should go into his casket. That's what he said. Yeah. So finally, the day came. He died. <laughs> this, this husband died. And true enough, during the funeral, I mean, during the burial, where ev- when everybody was away already, a few people were just there, the wife stands up with a small box, walks to the casket, and then drops it inside, and then closes it, and then they buried him. And then the friend, of course, they're always best friends, right? So the friend of the wife comes in running. Are you foolish? You mean you, you, mean you actually agreed and you put all the money in the casket? And you know what the wife said? Uh, yes and no. So what did you put? I wrote him a check. <laughs> she, gave, she gave all the money. Yeah, the moral of that's, that story really is that you really can't bring wealth to where we're going. Amen. And sometimes when we think about our properties, the things that we own, it's not really ours. Right? At the end of the day, the houses that you are living in, and if it's yours, you have your name on it, guess what? When you're long gone, somebody will own it. Hopefully, your, your children will own it. Or else, somebody else will buy it. Because it's not ours. It's temporary. It, is, it belongs to God. You need to understand this principle, and you need to get it. Okay? This principle is called, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. No matter how you look at it, everything belongs to God. How many generations have already passed? And we all know that. The richest man alive I could remember was Steve Jobs. Even in his deathbed, he says, All the money in the world cannot even make me well. Can you imagine you have all the money in the world that he owns? Bottom line, at the end, it's not his. And it reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 to 18. It says here, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is today. It's quite dangerous when we actually do not acknowledge that God is the source of everything we own today. Going back to a faithful response, okay? So we all know that servant number one had a faithful response. Servant number two comes and he goes on um, saying to the Lord, Lord, your mina has five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Wow. Like that, right? This servant was also faithful, but he yielded less, less profit, okay? You see, none, not all of us are given the same equal opportunity or equal talent or equal skills, right? How many of you know that? And sometimes we tend to compare, you know, buti pa siya, ganyan siya, buti pa siya, guapo, maganda ako, ganito lang, mga ganon. You know what I'm saying? And you tend to compare that, but this servant didn't even think about it. 
He says, you know, it's okay. Whatever I have, I'm going to invest. I'm going to do this. And he yields five, what? Five minus more. And the thing is with God, it doesn't really matter how much, you know, how much uh, he has actually accomplished. But what matters to God is about faithfulness. You see, stewardship of God's resources starts with our faithfulness. It doesn't matter how much fruits you have gotten, how, what are the results. What matters is that are you faithful where you are? Are you faithful in your offices? Are you faithful in your, your job? Are you faithful in your business? Are we faithful in the place that God has placed us? See, if you look at a servant, okay, servant means doulos, it means slave. Okay? A servant does not really own anything. Alright? <laughs> Servants actually represent their master. How many of you know that? And there's a certain twist to this. I want you to see it. Um, you see, if they represent the king, this one, who was rejected. Remember, he was rejected by the citizens, right? They didn't like him. They don't want him to rule and reign, but he becomes king anyway. See, if you are actually representing a man that is rejected, what happens is that you have a problem. You have a challenge in investing in the community that you're in because they hate your master. I mean, think about, think about these, these servants who went there trying to do business with their minas and they could not achieve what they can achieve, but yet they still yielded fruits and they were still faithful. You see, Jesus speaks of how all of us, all His disciples will actually encounter many persecutions on account of Him, right? I mean, it's a perfect picture of what Jesus is saying that, hey, you as a believer... As a servant of God, guess what? You're going to have some major persecutions. You're going to have major trials. But Jesus said that, you know, fear not because I have overcome the world. But here's another twist. The reward. Everybody say the reward. Now get this. He gives 10 10 cities, right? 10 cities for making 10 minas. Okay? And to the other one, Five cities, right? Now get this. The master, the king now, takes his servant. Okay, You need to understand that this guy is a servant. Then changes his position from servant to ruler of cities. Think about that. How can you ever comprehend our God? Are you getting it? Are you seeing the picture? This guy, a servant who was faithful was given 10 cities and the other one 5 cities. From a servant now, they have become a ruler of a city. Isn't that amazing? You're not seeing it, right? Not yet. Alright, maybe, maybe later the Holy Spirit can actually open our eyes. You need to see how huge the reward is, guys. Are you listening? Do you realize that this king that we serve, the God that we serve, okay, makes us rulers of 10 cities, of cities. What's that compared to who we are? It's an amazing thought, okay? Just thought you wanted that. And it reminds me of this story. Okay, there's a, um, this, is a story, this is a story of an elderly couple. It happened many, 
as in many, many years back, as you can see, black and white pa yan, alright? So, it like, it is a true story. Are you ready to hear the true story? Okay, true story. It was one stormy night, many, many years ago, this elderly couple walks in this hotel lobby, okay, and, and wanted to check in. Stormy night, there was a huge conference happening in this, in this city. They walk into this, to this hotel, and they wanted to get a room. Guess what? This guy, his name is George Bolt, okay, was the clerk behind the reception area. He's the only guy. And he says to them, I'm so sorry, sir, ma'am, we don't have any more rooms left. We are fully booked because of the conference. Of course, you know, to the elderly couple, what you don't have any choice but to leave, right? But this guy, this guy, um, George, okay, call him George. This guy, George, he couldn't take it. He says, I hate you see you, to see you go out there during this time in a storm. In fact, if you don't mind, my room is not a luxury suite, but I'm willing to offer my own room. I will be working the whole night. I won't be needing my room anyway. You could stay in my room. Guess what the, the elderly couple said? Oh, that's great. We'll get it. So they, they stayed for a night. The following day, this couple went to this clerk, George. Okay, Say hi to George. Hi, George. Okay. <laughs> George now approach. I mean, the, the elderly couple approaches George and says, you know, um, you know what? Thank you for, for, you know, opening your room for us. And this is quote unquote, okay? The, the elderly couple said, you are the kind of employee every hotel owner dreams about employing. Maybe someday I'll build a hotel for you. Then the couple left. Several years later, okay, that old man invited George Bolt in New York. And they were like standing opposite a newly, newly built hotel in front of them. And this is what he said. You see, my name is William Waldorf Astor. I just have built this new hotel and I want you to be the first manager. It's an amazing story of faithfulness. This guy, an ordinary clerk, being faithful in what he was doing. And then, see, the, even the principle works. The, the principle of the kingdom, are you here? Even works for the unbelievers, in fact. But I don't know. I think they are believers. But the amazing thing is that when you are faithful with the little things, guess what? God gives you what? The bigger things. And it's an amazing thought. Amen. It's a true story. And guess what? This is the picture of that hotel. Several years later, first manager was George C. Bolt. And everything is history. He became one of. Uh, he became very rich. Became a millionaire. He owned different um, hotel chains in Philadelphia, I guess. So it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Okay. Now the second response. Okay, if dealt with the first response, right? The faithful response, right? Now we also have. If we have a faithful, we also have the unfaithful response. Okay, we all know this, right? The third servant came. Okay, saying, Lord. Here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. 
You know, in Hebrew culture, it's an insult to put something that is valuable inside a handkerchief. You don't do that in, in their culture. And what was his reason? For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. You know, this, this servant probably thought that the king will not return yet. So he was playing around. Probably this servant showed no concern at all about the business of his master. Or probably some say that he was a lazy bum. Okay? He doesn't want to work. But you know what I think about this, this person or this, this servant? I think that this person was, was not lazy. He was not, uh, you know, he was, not, he was not unconcerned. Or maybe he was. But here's the thing. I think he was so selfish, self-centered, just thinking of himself, didn't care about the business at all. Why? Because his focus for the future was on temporal things. It was never eternal. It's kind of like, kind of like, you know, God, Jesus giving us the business, his business of winning souls. What do we do with the business of Jesus? Do we settle? Do we say, you know, um, Lord, I see a lot of ushers, actually two of them, two, okay? And then, they're okay. I see pastors there, they're okay. I see intercessors, they're okay. We have kids' church, they're okay. Lord, I'm okay. I'll just sit around and do nothing. Guess what? Many years ago, many years ago, I am so guilty of this one. I didn't want anything to do with church. Yeah. Seriously. Ask my wife. Really. I didn't want to do anything with church. I didn't want to be a volunteer. I didn't want to help. All I want is that, you know, I want that born again stuff. You know, I want to be, I want to be saved. I want to feel good about life. I want to hear the word. I want to be fed by God. That's me. And I didn't want anything to do with church. In fact, Badui, Sabiko, I don't want that. Truth be told, right? <laughs> Truth be told. I'm saying this because that was my response. And I'm praying today that won't be our response. But this servant really didn't care. Selfish, self centered, only thinking about himself. In fact, he made this ridiculous excuse. He says, I, I was afraid of you. I was petrified. Okay? <laughs> you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Reminds me of this verse. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, and there your heart will be also. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, you know, don't look to temporal things. Look to eternal things. Unfortunately, I guess this, this servant wasn't just looking at, you know, eternal things. He wasn't looking that there's going to be a reward by being faithful. He dismisses the thought that, you know, I don't like to do my master's business. I just want, I want to be comfortable. I just want to do my thing. I want to earn for my own family, for my own self. I don't care about the gospel anymore. 
That's what he was saying. So what happens to this servant? Well, the master said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. He was judged by his own words. And the master, the king, hey, he says that you are wicked. Do you know what the meaning of wicked in Hebrew? It means worthless. You worthless, unfaithful servant. That's what the master said. Verse 23, Why then did you not put my money in the bank at my coming? I might have collected, with in, uh, collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. It would have been better for this guy just to, you know, not put it in a handkerchief, but put it in the bank. At least it would earn interest. So the master says, no, take that mina off and give it to the one who has ten. And what did the people say? His servant says, Master, I mean, Lord, he has ten minas already. And this is what the master says. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what was Jesus trying to say? He was saying, since this unfaithful servant has no good works done for God, everything he thinks that he has, even what he's holding right now, will also be gone. But the one who serves God faithfully will get the abundance. In other words, there's a saying that says, use it or you lose it. You don't want that. What has God given you today? Think about it. What has God given you today? If you don't use it, you can lose it. And the third response, okay? The faithless response, okay? There's, we have the faithful response, we have the unfaithful response, and now we have the faithless response. Who are these people? Remember the citizens, right? Who rejected the noble man as king? Well, Luke 19, verse 14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. You all know this, right? You know what's interesting about this story, this parable? Jesus actually used a true-to-life story that was happening in Jerusalem. Josephus, okay, uh, uh, the first century historian, he actually wrote this about a certain man, and his name is Herod Archelaus. Okay? This guy was the son of Herod the Great. He was supposed to inherit the kingdom of Herod. Unfortunately, he was opposed by his own family. Not only that, there were about 50 prominent Jews and 8,000 Jewish expats who actually opposed him, and went against him. But what happened? Archelaus went to Rome, talked to Caesar, and Caesar, after hearing this, gives him the throne. It's an amazing story. Jesus uses a, a true-to-life story during their time to make a point, and a heavy point it is. Okay? It's not just to catch their attention, although they, they caught their attention, but it also, I believe, 
you know, put weight and the severity of those who will reject Him as Jesus, as Lord and Savior. In other words, He was dead serious about His kingdom, His kingship. And sometimes when we talk about Christianity or when we talk about Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. We all know that, right? We all like that. In kids' church, Jesus loves you, this I know, you know, you know that, right? But no, this, this king will rule and reign and he will be a just God punishing those, okay? Punishing those who have rejected him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That Jesus is a serious one as well. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he gave his life for us. But you need to understand this parable. He was saying, no, I'm, I'm dead serious about my kingdom. And the story of Herod was that when he was crowned king, he went back and he actually, you know, punished those who opposed him. Kind of like what he said, slaughter them. Okay? In Luke 19 verse 27, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. It's really heavy. But really, God is the God of justice. He will not allow sin to be unpunished. He's a just God. Serious, right? You know what else? In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. And think about this. I want you to really think deeply about this verse. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, most of us would probably dread this judgment. Okay? How many of you like this judgment? <laughs> None of us, right? But judgment is good. Maybe you're wondering, Pastor, what are you saying? Judgment is good. You all watch this like, you know, The Voice or American Idol. You all, you all watch this, right? Or am I the only one watching those stuff? I mean, countless people, they line up for a contest to be judged, right? And why do they judge these, these talents as people? They wanted to see who will remain the victor, right? Who will remain, you know, the best of the best, right? So actually, if you realize, if you understand, and you know, let me just shift the mindset, you know, from thinking of judgment as something that we dread, but judgment as something that is good to know where you stand, right? You see, judgment is really good. You know, the only reason why we dread that judgment is this. The only reason we will dread this judgment is if we are not faithful to what God has given us. That's the only thing that you will dread. Quite hard? A little bit. But the truth is, we will not dread judgment because the judgment will be good. You want to hear Jesus say to you at the end of everything, Well done, my good and faithful servant. As I end, there's only one point. Because God rewards the faithful. So you're asking today, Pastor, we've talked about the nobleman, we've talked about 
um, the servants, the servant number one, servant number two, servant number three. We've talked about the citizens. Whatever happened to the seven? Did you ever think of that? Whatever happened? So I was looking at it, and you know, try as I might, I did not find anything about the seven. Lord Jesus, why? What's the seven all about? <laughs> it's really amazing, right? But I don't know. Maybe the seven. The seven servants would represent all of us. Maybe. Because the seven servants that was left, they had a choice if they would be faithful or they would be unfaithful. Maybe that's the question we need to ask ourselves today. Will you be faithful and receive the reward? Or will you be unfaithful and just get across heaven as if you just escaped the fire? So you see, the, the choice is all in our hands. Amen. It's in our hands. That's why when you, when, you look at, when you look at the parable, the lesson really is about faithfulness. In order for us to be good stewards of what God has given us, we need to be faithful, even at the little things in this life. Amen? Amen. Let's just bow down our heads. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you somehow you have opened our hearts tonight making us understand that the kingdom in your kingdom it's about faithfulness it's not about our own works our abilities our own success it's not about that but being faithful in what you have given us lord jesus we come to you today humble ourselves lord god Far be it from all of us that we become, you know, selfish, self-centered, unfaithful servants. Lord, may we look at your business of seeking and saving the lost. Our business. Lord, I pray that every person who's here tonight, Lord God, will understand that the time, the money, the resources that you've given us is for your business, not ours. We're only stewards of, of this earth. We don't own anything, Lord God. And the only thing that we can own is our life with you, Lord Jesus. So we humble ourselves tonight and just ask God, Lord, remove, Lord God, every selfishness, self-centeredness in my heart. Lord, may we just come before you and just embrace you totally and say, God, whatever your will is, whatever situation I may be, I will remain faithful. I will be here for you, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord God. Though we do not look to the rewards, but we look to you, Lord Jesus, but you do reward the faithful. So today, God, for those who have been faithful, Lord God, thank you that you have rewarded them. Maybe not here, maybe not life on earth, but in heaven, we know there's going to be greater rewards. In Jesus' name, amen.